Networking is a really powerful way to stand out among your colleagues and let them know that you are here to support them. In today's episode, you'll learn all about the four amazing ways to grow your practice through networking. Private practice owners, are you ready to rewrite the rules for your practice so you can have more time off, a great team, and more income while delivering better patient care? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to the Provider's Edge podcast. I'm your host, Sabrina Rompak. I'm a provider, an international peak performance keynote speaker, and a best-selling author. My guests and I help providers like you control your practice, control your life, control your future. This is your defining moment to be a disruptor in healthcare. There are endless suggestions by the marketing gurus on how do we build up private practices. Yet many are noises. They are getting us more overwhelmed and confused when we step out and have the courage to actually build the practices that you have right now or have started to expand. So networking, on the other hand, can be really powerful because you're standing out as the expert among your colleagues and letting them know that you're here to support them as well. And that's why I invited Dr. Jane with us today. She is a naturopathic doctor who specializes in fertility and uh, she has been on a mission to empower high-achieving women through her fertility, pregnancy, and postpartum journeys. And in her six-plus years in this industry, Dr. Jane has helped hundreds of couples uh, to optimize their health and prepare their body for pregnancy, which allow them to get pregnant naturally, have complication-free pregnancies and gave birth to healthy babies and learn how she actually consistently building her practice and what her strategies are through networking. So please listen, subscribe, comment below, and we're excited for Dr. Jane to be here with us. Hello, Dr. Jane. Hi, Sabrina. Thank you so much for having me and for that introduction. Yeah, I'm uh, so glad to be in this space and to feature our practitioners just like you and to learn about your reasons of getting into this field, some of the big wins that you actually gain from it and then something. I mean, I'll tell you a little bit about just how I got into this field. And I loved your introduction on the burnout of practitioners and not knowing where to start and you know feeling like there, there is this endless game. So I recently switched into a fully virtual practice and that was really timed with having my second child and feeling like I didn't want to go back to clinic. I didn't want to go back to the runaround and I wanted to create a lifestyle where I could spend more time with my kids and not be worried about you know, filling up or driving or commuting or whatever and really being able to travel and take my practice with me if I needed to. And when I do, right? So, because life comes up. As it goes to me jumping into the fertility space, I started out, so I'm a naturopathic doctor, and I just kind of started out 
as the, when you first graduate, that's the first thing you do is you're just going to see everybody and anybody because you're just excited to start practicing the thing that you've been learning for the last eight to 10 years. And so that's where I started. And then I slowly started to get some business trainings and business ideas. My husband and I own a CrossFit gym. So we did some mentorship and I started to kind of apply that to my practice to realize, Hey, what's going like, what do I want to do? How do I want to practice? Cause the first couple of years fresh out of practice, you're just going to do, and it doesn't really matter what you hear and what you're told. I think it's just the natural journey that you have to go through, which is just see everybody and anybody and see what you like. Um, the caveat to that is you want to make sure that you're actually paying attention to what kind of patient do I like seeing and what kind of patient really drains me? Uh, what kind of patient do I love doing research for? And what kind of patient am I like, Ugh, this case, like, I don't know what's going on. I just, you know, you're just kind of trying to help them because you have a good heart. And that's why you probably got into the healthcare field in the first place is because you want to help people but it doesn't mean you're going to be able to help everybody. And so that's really important to start to differentiate. So for me, for fertility journey, I kind of started to have these patients coming in because um, I worked at the CrossFit gym that we own. Um, and I did some talks and I talked about how, you know, training with your menstrual cycle and hormones. And I got a bunch of patients from that. But a bunch of those patients were like, hey, I'm looking to get pregnant soon. And my hormones are all over the place. My cycle is really heavy or I have all these digestive issues. Uh, my skin is breaking out, whatever it was. Do you think that's going to impact it? And I already had my firstborn at that time. And my first pregnancy, like just threw me in for a loop. I had no idea how hard it is on the body and how uncomfortable I was. And like, now I was an naturopath. I was an athlete. I, you know, I took care of myself. And so when I got pregnant, I thought, whatever, it's just the next thing I'm going to do. And it, it just wasn't the case. And my labor was awful and not my labor, but just like my delivery. And I felt really out of control. So in the back of my head, I already knew that, Hey, like, I want to see if I could do this better, you know, and not like as a competitive person, but just as a, like, there's gotta be a better way. Like there's no way women have to be so sick and so tired and sacrifice so much to have a child and don't get me wrong. It's a huge sacrifice, but I just felt like there was room for improvement. And so when I got a bunch of these women who basically wanted to improve their health before getting pregnant, that was the first seed that planted. I had a family member who struggled with fertility. That was the next seed. And, you know, and I helped her, um, and I really enjoyed those patients because they were very, very compliant. They were very driven. They were motivated. They would do, right? The compliancy is one of the hardest things for most of us alternative healthcare providers where you're telling people that like, you can't eat this and you shouldn't go do, right? Like they're having a hard time. So I like that. And then I had, you know, I prepared my body for second pregnancy and then I had a miscarriage. And that miscarriage opened up a whole different world to me because I already started to share my journey on Instagram. And we'll talk about the networking of it later. And as I shared my story with my miscarriage, I realized how many women were in this space who didn't have the support, who didn't have the knowledge, who didn't have the education that I did and how much pain and suffering they went through without get, having any guidance. And so that's when I really started to say, hey, I think I opportunity in a sense that like there's a lot of need here. 
and I, I know I can help these women because as painful as the miscarriage was, I knew how to support my body. I knew who to reach out to. I had a network of people because again, I'm in the healthcare space. So I have professionals who are friends who pointed me in the right direction. So I felt very supported and I feel like I healed, you know, fairly quickly in comparison. And I moved past the, through the experience in a way that allowed me to get pregnant again, you know, within three to four months and then have the beautiful home birth that I wanted for my first child and, you know, didn't get. And that that's what really brought me into the fertility space. It's my own story. And asking the question when I was growing my practice of like, who do I really like to help with? And what kind of research do I really like? What's fascinating for me? Because now I find I have to pull myself away from work because I'm so like, I love what I'm doing. And I, there isn't that burnout because you love what you're doing. And if, as soon as I notice the burnout, then I'm like, is this a patient that's my ideal patient? Or is this, you know, is this someone, can someone help this person better essentially? So the energy exchange is always positive. I know that was a rant. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, this is, I think you brought up some really good point is that when we fresh out, it seems like every make us unique is we can do everything. I was just talking to a friend, really a client who are trying to build up a direct primary care with IV infusion, with the wellness parts, uh, light therapy. My question to her is what's make you unique? Oh, what make me? Me unique is I can see everybody. I can solve, I'm unique because I have every tool and resource. But then the question is, if you can do everything, then nothing is connected to the specific people that you wanted to bring in. And in your case, Dr. Jane, you become someone who's so specialized because you have a personal connection. That makes you unique. You have a story. That story can connect with parents with people who had miscarriage or people who are newly seeking, who had babies, who had gone through the similar aches and pains and really stress on their body, they can hear these stories, they can connect it to. And then you can say, I am the expert in this field. So your strategy in reaching out these people are so much more easier now instead of talking to 10 different profiling of 10 different problems you can solve. So I think yeah. this is a really crucial thing when we think about your practice. Even in medicine, we have our subspecialty, right? Like the yeah. podiatrist, the cardiologist, the endocrine. And even within those, cardiology, for example, since I do heart surgery, now some people only do heart failure. Some people do interventional yes. and some people only care about specific devices, the innovation part versus the traditional. And some people are more into the biohacking, right? And whatever that means for you, that connection, I think that's the biggest thing about our unique ability as a provider. And that helps into even direction, right? As, uh, and so you've been building your practice for more than six years. And uh, it's uh, definitely a transition as many people start putting everything online and then reducing the cost of your space of having a physical clinic. And uh, how big is your practice now? Like, it's a, do you have how many assistants? And do you feel like because you moved to virtual, you have been able to have a smaller, or bigger team? 
Yeah, the the dynamic of your team really changes. It's um, and the, the the way that you split up your expenses also changes. So it seems like, oh, okay, now you don't have rent to pay. You don't have, uh, you know, X, Y, Z to pay. You don't have to worry about like, now this is just extra income. But when you're coming online, you have to keep in mind that nobody knows who you are online. And so now you have to have, instead of having an assistant who's helping me manage supplements and do all this, now I have a social media brand strategist, you know, someone who's helping me make sure that the content that I put out is speaking to the right market, someone who's making sure that all of my content is aligned and creating, uh, actually spending money on ads and making sure that that messaging is aligned and you're tracking the right person and, you know, to what you were speaking in, like really you're speaking about niching down, right? So people are really scared about niching down. And like you said, in cardiology, there's like five, 10, however many different fields that you can niche down to. In infertility, it's the same thing. You can do pre-conception care. You can do after you've been trying for a while, uh, how to recover pregnancy, uh, post-pregnancy loss, how to prepare your body for IVF. Like, even though it seems like it's this big, broad field, there there is a person in there that you're going to work really um, much better with. And when we're niching down, it doesn't mean that that's something that you're going to do for forever. Like I know you mentioned like, Oh, I'm helping everybody. And really when you're talking to everyone, you're talking to no one because people just kind of hear that message. And now there's so much noise on the internet. It's just going to go right through. And so it is really specific to talk to people's problems. And the more people you're trying to help, the more complex the system gets on the back end. And complex fails, simple scales. You always want to simplify, 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 because the more complex it is for you, the harder it is for you, for your patient to understand, but also the more burnout you're going to experience because there's just too many balls to juggle. And then you have to hire out to help you versus if it's simple, simple, simple. And so I don't have a huge team. I have somebody who is doing, you know, my ads and my marketing and uh, setting up all the Facebook stuff. And then I have a, a girl who does my brand strategy. She does my social media strategy. She does all my posting, reaching out for uh, podcast opportunities to create more networking opportunities. And then um, because I sell a higher ticket item, I actually take very few patients at a time. And that allows me to provide the care that I want for the patients. And then, you know, I'll put out a lot of content. I have a DIY program that I've created for those people who are just kind of looking to dabble, right? They're just like, oh, I wonder what this is about versus like, no, I'm really ready to change my life. Because as I worked with many patients, the ones that I help get the biggest results are the ones that I'm working very closely with for a shorter period of time, one-on-one, because I can make profound changes fairly quickly. And, uh, you know, instead of saying like, oh, naturopathic medicine didn't work. And it's like, what didn't work? Was there a diagnosis missing? And so uh, I, that's kind of the path that I chose. So to answer your question very with a long-winded answer here is that I don't have a huge team, but the team just changed. The team changed from doing the physical stuff to really being behind the back end. Like my team is virtual, right? I have a our the ad marketing manager is in Australia and then I'm in Calgary and my brand girl is in 
Toronto and she has an assistant that helps out. So it's nice because now you have the power to connect and do those things uh, online as opposed to being limited to a location and having to find like really good people that work with you well when you're limited to a location. I find like it just becomes harder versus now you have this infinite possibility of like there's a ton of amazing people out there but they might just not be within driving distance of your practice <laughs> yeah you're so right and then uh, that being said i think as some people will say uh, what what would be the challenge of not eat either it's finding these team um, because they're online, you're not seeing them, you only have a, a limited sure. communication with them, or is the challenge is making sure your expectations meet? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to the team, because I've made some mistakes in terms of um, hiring, uh, like the, the kind of the advice that I can give in terms of hiring a team is hire up not hired down. So you need to hire someone who's better than you at the thing that you're trying to get them to do. Whereas I hired an assistant at first to be like, I'll just teach her what I need to do. And you spend so much time teaching and integrating. And if it's not their natural skill, like if it's not a natural skill set for them, you're literally just paying money for somebody to learn that skill. As a private practice owner, trying to juggle it all can be difficult. So what needs to be done? Well, the answer is pretty simple. You hire people who are experts in the field. In other words, always hire up and not down. Hire someone who is an expert at what they do will not only save you time, but also money in the long run. The amount of time you spend training staff and paying them will not be as beneficial as hiring someone who's already the best at what they do and paying them a little more. Additionally, you should always have a probation period for new hires to make sure that you are the right fit for each other. Qualified individuals will help you and your practice grow. You can reach new people and network more by hiring the right person. So how does one go about doing this? By getting to know your patients, your practice, and your competitors. If you liked today's episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues who are also healthcare leaders. They will appreciate you for thinking about their growth. It's about paying it forward. All right, let's get back to the rest of our show. And sometimes it takes three months, sometimes it takes six months, sometimes it takes a year for them to get. And I see a lot of practitioners get really frustrated where their assistants with their, and the truth is sometimes it's, you know, the, the pay that you're giving them is all you can get is this skill set. So you might have to consider increasing your pay, but then you have to be really clear with the expectations and then you know, checklists, like here are the things that I need you to do. What are you good at? What are you like really learning about them as people, if you will, and what they're inclined to do? Because once I hired my, uh, I had that flip where I let go of my assistant and I hired my social media manager, brand strategist, like I didn't even know everything that she could do. And I realized the certain skill set that she had. And she was just very organized, very, very on it. Like she had all the folders and charts and all of these things that I was like expecting from my assistant. And I just couldn't get her to do it. And the truth is, it's just like it wasn't part of her 
natural DNA, if you will. Do you know? Um, and so I was trying to fit her into that box. So when you're looking to hire, it's don't just try to fit somebody into the box. Look at who they actually are and what they're good at. And I would, you know, ask references. Absolutely. Call the references and see how, what did they do for your, you know, oh, they were really great at communicating. They were really great at talking and blah. Okay. What about organization skills? And so like, if the person doesn't say anything about organization and all you need is a super organized person, then right away that should, you know, put a little bit of a flag for you. And then you just do a probation period, always do a probation period. Cause, um, like I said, when I look retrospectively, uh, you know, it's always hindsight 2020. When I look at my assistant and I was like, yeah, there were so many red flags and not that she wasn't a great person. It's just like it, she wasn't in the right position. And I kept trying to put her into that position. Whereas when I hired my social media person, it was like, oh, oh, this is what this is like. And so unfortunately, I think you do have to make those mistakes as a practitioner at the beginning because you just don't know. That's the whole thing. It's like, you got to get that experience. It's okay. You're going to fail. You're going to hire the wrong people. Just move past that and hire the next person. And if that person isn't right, hire the next person. And that's just part of the game. That's just part of learning how to manage a team and what you need and how clear you need to be with the expectations and what the person needs to do on their day to day. And then systems and, you know, charts and checklists, all of that stuff, uh, which is, it's a lot of work, but you get the people that you hire to start building that out for you and you kind yeah. of build it out as you go. Yeah. I, uh, the One of the biggest uh, struggle was when you stepping out beyond just a, a provider, you start thinking about business. The biggest fail in entrepreneurship is I can just bring anyone on or I can bring someone on that seems to be good and we'll train them. I can yeah. train them and mold them into a certain way. But if we have to spend the time to train and mold them, you're actually going down to a distraction zone, yep. right? Like I teach about freedom. How do you create a compass of freedom that helps you to build out your system that helps you to gain back that one day per week? So how do you, if you don't even know what the beginning looks like, then you can constantly hire, constantly change. And the false belief we always have is, oh, what if I just give them one more chance? What if I give them yeah. a second chance? <laughs> and maybe they can learn it better. But then anything that come back to you that's not right, you spend so much more time and agony and struggle to just yeah. fix their work. So it's not really worth your time and their time to feel inadequate for you making so much correction. And yeah. you, on the other hand, feel so struggling. Um, I, I can't believe I'm paying this person, but they're not delivering. And the biggest point, Dr. Jane, you're so right, higher up means you have to hire experts. And that's why um, yep. you guys know I curate a long list of people who are specialized in just private practice because uh, there's too many people doing so many different things and it becomes scattered. And mm -hmm. when they don't know healthcare, they do not know healthcare. They don't know how we talk. They don't know what we struggle on. They don't know how our patient react just because they are maybe they're in business for 10 years building different from practices, a big organization, it's not going to be the same when we are small entities. And some are not even small, right? Some of my clients yeah. even have 10 clinics, but you still can't see that as a large organization with hundreds of employees. It just doesn't make sense.
So the point about hiring, the the least amount of struggle you're gonna have and best effective way of output is the get references, ask the people who you trust, or I can even give you a whole list on people that you need to talk to, whether it's in the beginning or or you're in the middle uh, about scaling, right? The concept is just that it's okay that we have to pay a little bit more or yes. take a little bit of more time to find the right person, but it takes the more time to find the right person so you can keep them longer. And if yeah. they're not the right person, quickly turn that around so you don't get the heartaches. <laughs> sure. The reason that you want to pay that person more is because in if you lay out your expectations, in theory, they should be bringing more revenue. Like everybody right. who's on the team needs to contribute to bringing more revenue. So even if it's your administrative person that's sitting at your front desk or checking in online or whatever, they're doing things like, Hey, have you filled your supplement prescription today? Hey, have you done this? Have you did? And they're doing follow-ups and making sure. So that is bringing in more revenue, right? If someone is sitting there and is on getting people to make sure that they're taking their supplements or whatever prescriptions, that's bringing more revenue. If they're making, following up on patients, making sure that they book their appointments, that's bringing in more revenue. So if everybody feels like they're contributing and you see how much they're contributing, like KPIs, the key performers indicators, and you put people in those boxes and they know the numbers they need to hit. And then that is how they just, you know, get their salary. Then it's very clear, right? It's very, very clear. And like you said, it's always, you want to hire up because those people are going to bring your business way higher up than you could ever do. And for practitioners, like, you know, the thought that came to mind when you were talking is, because I have some friends who are just starting to get into the business side of things. And we've been practicing for the same time. And my question to them is, do you want to be a business owner or do you just want to be a practitioner? Yes. Because that's really the question that you need to answer before you embark on this business journey. Because a business journey is like a whole other degree that you no one you never got. And now you have to seek mentorship and you have to seek... Uh, additional resources beyond what you have learned in school. And most of us like naturopaths, we got so little business training that we kind of also got a cap put on us to be like, Hey, if you make this much money, you should be set. If you have a practice and you're running this much, great. You'll maybe take a third of that and you should be happy with it. And it's like, yeah, but let's change that up. Let's not, let's not just put us in a little box and say, that's all you could ever do. Saying that though, I've done the technician role and I've done the business owner role and they're very, very different. And how I split my days, it's like, here's my technician role day, whereas I'm providing the service and here's my business had days. And if that's what you want to do and you're ready to embark on that journey, then, you know, seek the help and do, but if you don't, then I really wouldn't, like I wouldn't try to, <laughs> now I realize that practitioners listening to this are probably our business owners oriented, but it's still a question that I would ask yourself all the time because it like, it's a lot of work, right? And right. you will lose money and, but there's also a lot of great opportunity to make more money and to create more freedom, but it's not free, right? You have to work for it and you have to figure it out, all that jazz. 
Right. And what you talked about really is from the book E-Myth. So for anybody yes. who hasn't read that, definitely it's a good read, whether you already started your practice or you're just starting. Um, because that at the end of the day, we have to think bigger. Um, there's uh, just quickly, the E-Myth means the technician, the manager, the entrepreneur, right? The bigger picture person who can see beyond what's happening right now. The manager keeps status quo, make things happen. And the technicians who are in the ground doing the work. So majority of the time when we come out and when we're having any patient interaction, that's the technician part, right? That's the thing that we are trained for years after years on how to deliver, how to solve problems. But the manager's part, you really should hire someone who makes everything happen for you. So then you can step away from your practice and things can still run on itself. And we don't feel like we're slaved by attached to that practice versus sure. your entrepreneurial head is that bigger picture. Where do you want things to go? How much is right for you? What's the revenue for the monthly, yearly? How else would you be interested to do, whether speaking, research, or community involvement to make you feel good about everything that you're uh, serving sure. on a larger scale? So that, that also being said, have you found in like, did something happen to you where then you realize, oh, networking is the right way instead of all the other things I was doing? What, what was that um, back in your day when you discovered networking? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I've always been um, like, I can make friends with a wall is the best way that I can describe myself, whereas my husband likes to be the wall and be left alone. <laughs> so that's how we found him. I was I found a wall I like. But um, no, so I always really liked communicating and connection. Um, it's, it's been a strong suit. Like I've coached gymnastics. I've coached CrossFit. We own a CrossFit gym, which is really community based. And when I started to practice the way that I grew my practice that was inside the CrossFit gym is like, I would coach and I would just talk to people and then I would bring them in. Uh, and then I would do some talks when I stepped into online for whatever reason, I thought it would just be different. And I don't know why I thought it's like, you just had to make content and people would come and you would just continue to make really good content and people will notice you and, or you have to spend a bunch of money on ads. Right. But then you don't realize how much money you actually have to spend on ads and for how long, because there's just so much noise on the internet now that basically you have to just constantly put out content and information and then put some money behind it. So people will just even see your stuff. And I've done lots of different social media courses, if you will. And they always talk about networking, but I didn't like, it was only recently that I was like, oh, like I just need to go out and reach out to people and tell them about me who are in the same space, non-competitive. So like, I'm not talking to people who are also specializing in fertility, uh, not to say that we can collaborate, but not they, they're not going to promote my products and I'm not going to promote theirs because there's too much um, competition, but somebody who is in an autoimmune space or digestive space, uh, you know, digestive issues, or even some hormone imbalances, it, anything like you never know what stage you're going to land or when someone is going to need your help. And when you have developed a relationship with a practitioner, then those referrals are patients that are going to 
like they're going to be so much better than anyone that you find online. And they're going to be a lot lower cost. Now the cost that it is, is time. It's your time to build the connection in the network and the authority in the space, if you will. References help you go a long way in the healthcare industry. People usually go to a specialist through referrals. That means you need to network outside of your field. Networking also is not just about talking with others and sharing about what you do, but building that relationship. This is why networking is a crucial part of growing your practice and how most private practice owners can grow through referrals. Make sure to always be social in the healthcare space and look toward making connections. For example, the CME conference event that you went to, how many people have you spoke to to get to know them? And at the end, ask how you can support them. When people don't understand what your true purpose and how they can support each other, then it will just be a good conversation without any follow-up. First, focus on developing a relationship with practitioners from different niches. Then you can support each other when your patients are needing the help from those other specialties. Then maintain that relationship in order to grow, which can be different ways of checking in, sending cards, having additional conversations. But like I said, it's recently clicked for me that I like, I need to jump on podcasts. I need to reach out to practitioners. I need to do, you know, the same thing that I did for my brick and mortar. And, you know, I still have some brick and mortar connections. And I just told them that I switched uh, virtually. And like I said, those referrals are those patients, not even referrals, but those patients tend to be my long-term patients. They see the best results. I click with them immediately. And I, you know, I truly enjoy working with them as opposed to having more of a qualifying process, right? Because the internet is a big, scary place and you can get a lot of different people that you're not necessarily going to be, you know, fit to work with. So you have to have a qualifying process and learn through that. But networking is always the way. It's just like, you know, I don't even really know what else to say about it. It's just like, hey, <laughs> wait, well, when you have a problem, what's the first thing you do? You usually message somebody and say, hey, do you have a guy or a gal who does this? Right? Like I message my friends to this day and be like, hey, I need, do you have a good massage therapist in this area? Do you have a good physio? Do you have a good whatever? And that right away, like if it's a friend I trust, which obviously that's the person that I'm trusting right away, I'm like, okay, book me in. Like, I don't even need to do all the other stuff and I don't bother doing versus if I, and if someone says like, no, I don't, cause that's still my first step. My first step is still to ask somebody if they know somebody that can help me. So if I have a problem, Hey, who do you have? And then the next step is to Google. And then you're looking for reviews, right? You're looking testimonials, which is basically the same thing, but just from people you don't know. And so now you have to look through more reviews and you have to, you know, do more research. Now you're a little bit more hesitant. you got to jump on a call. Um, you have to follow the person for a while, see what kind of content they have put out, see if you like them. So that process of nurturing is a lot longer than when you just have somebody who's 
you're referred. So, you know, I, I'm not sure if that's the same experience as you, but you know, that's exactly what I think of when I need someone, I message my friends and I ask them, Hey, who do you have? Right. And then my last book that I uh, published was just on this topic. How do we really become a magnet of talent? Be that goes both from collaborating partners, other practitioners that we wanted to be in our network, the people that want to help us to grow, yes. uh, to join our team. And as the beginning of the show, we talked about how do you hire or how do you try them out, how to uh, give that time. And those are all different skills that we yep. have to have and to build this up and then through networking and networking has different skills right like i broke them down by how do you listen how do you ask questions how do you evaluate yes. how do you even think about the personality to fit you what you need and uh and dr jane you even mentioned what is their natural talent right like we have to have these specific way to ask them questions to bring that thing out of them so then we can put them into different subspecialty or areas per se that we need them to do the job that they're already good at and that fits into the puzzles that we need for our practice to grow so anything else at this point that you feel like oh i wish uh this part of my practice can be more efficient i mean everything at this point <laughs> i do feel because i switched um not even a year ago yet. So there is a lot of system developing. There is a lot of me having to do the, the stuff before I can delegate it off and create a system around it. And uh, there's a lot of kind of balancing and I can see the system though, you know, like I can see what I need to do when I'm getting mentorship. So I know what needs to happen, but uh, I would say there's a, a really great podcast by Alex Hermosi. If you guys don't know him, he's a fantastic salesman. Uh, so I would, he has a book called a hundred million dollar offer. I would highly recommend it, but he has a great podcast that's called working at high altitude and basically, and he's a workhorse. So he really tells people to like, stop complaining and start working. Like that's really what it comes down to. And Every time my husband and I get into like, oh, I wish I had more results or I wish more people. And it was like, well, what, what do you need? Oh, you want more followers, more likes? Guess what? You need to post more. You need to post more compelling content. You need to get people to raise your hands. You need to have rods or you need to get more appointments in for sales. So there's always an answer, but basically working at high altitude, he talks about when you first start any skill, it's going to be really, really hard. And it feels like you're working at high altitude and you're going to be really tired and you're going to be inefficient and fumbling through the process. As you get better though, as you get used to working at high altitude, there's things that happen in your system, right? Your body gets used to being in high altitude and all of a sudden that's your norm. And that's the same with all these new skills that it might be overwhelming to hear that, oh, and I have to be a good communicator and I have to be a good leader and then a good practitioner. And then I have to have these systems in place, but just know that there's no expectations that you're going to be able to do that all at once and that you're going to be really good at it at the beginning. So if you went to school for eight or 10 years, like it took you eight or 10 years just to learn the skill of being a healthcare prov provider, let alone now learning how to do business. And really we say, like my husband and I say, it takes about 10 years to master a skill, right? It's not that we say that, but that's just what we've heard. And that's what we believe as well. Just 
with coach CrossFit for a really long time. And at that 10 year mark, I was like, you know what? I'm good. Like I've mastered the scale. I don't really want to, I don't need to keep learning. I'm, I'm the quote unquote master and I can teach now. And this is the same with the school. Okay. You did this. And then now with business, it takes a long time. And so if you just kind of break your tasks up into these small manageable things and realize that like, you're just going to suck at it. And that's where I feel like I'm not at the bottom anymore, but I'm not anywhere close to the top, you know? So I know the skills that I need to develop and every day I'm just showing up and developing those, uh, those skills so I can become more and more efficient at them. And it's like struggling through this high altitude, you know, like, when am I going to get used to this? (laughs) When am I going to get good at this? Right. Such a great point. I think um, even people who come to me is that how do I, I'm I'm growing at a a good place now, but I just feel like tapping out. How do I get to the next level? And some of the beginning part, yes. um, If work harder (laughs) in the beginning part, yes, you do have to work hard and you can adapt to the same strategy. However, I don't even work with people who are just first you're in because you have to get used to the learning curve and it's if you're in a place who are super on top just like no that's fine i will be more receptive instead of our natural tendency is like i'll figure out right but if we're constantly in the i'll figure out round you'll never grow as fast as you need to be so when uh, someone who are able to get the right business uh, strategist, get the marketing team, right? As you were saying, and then get the maybe SEO or maybe the customer service, whatever those little component in the beginning you need with your accounting, with your people to set those up. And then you can start seeing, oh yes, all these are important. I'm not just me anymore. And then once I start learning all this, but how do I keep myself going in a steady way that I don't feel like I'm slave to my practice, then we can talk about efficiency, right? Um, because sure. a lot of people is like, I can't allow myself. Well, we do have to give ourselves the permission to say, it's fine. I have to learn it and trial error and we'll figure out what works best for us. So I appreciate all this uh, communication, your input from the fitness CrossFit world, your uh, specific <laughs> being able to niche down into fertility and how to do that and the importance of reaching out, networking, really, yep. truly, at the end of the day, creating win-win situation, right? That's yeah. how people see you as an authority. So how can people find more about you if they wanted yep. to refer patients to you for fertility or just for get sure. in touch with you? Yeah, and I love what you said about create a win-win situation. Like that's really what it's about. Cause I've reached out to some practitioners and they were like, no, no, it's okay. Like, I don't think I don't have any fertility clients. And I'm like, exactly. (laughs) That's why it works because it's not that you have to have fertility clients or if you specialize in cardiology, right. Or digestive or health, it's not that you have to have, it's when you build this relationship and you have an email list that trusts and likes you and someone comes in. So the way to connect, like I have an affiliate program that's called Fertility 101. And this is the, I don't want to say this is the dabble program, but it's for someone who is just looking to prepare their body for pregnancy. So maybe you already started trying, but like you haven't really 
you know, really started trying. It hasn't been this kind of long, torturous event yet, but really you're looking to prepare yourself, yourself and your partner, and you just want to learn more because there's a lot of information out there. And so I just sim it down. And that's an affiliate program. So if you have clients who you don't even know might be thinking about having kids, you set up an affiliation and now you get a percentage from every sale that the program makes. And all you have to do is send out an email saying, hey, I've partnered up with this person. Look at this great program she has. Do you want to learn more? And if they say yes, you're like, great, here's more information. And obviously I provide that to you as the affiliate partnership. And then you just collect money from that. And if you have, and the win-win situation is your client wins because now they feel like you're really taking care of them. Again, I don't know about you, but if I'm at my physio and I'm like, oh, this thing is really bothering me. And he sends me to a really great Cairo. I feel really taken care of. I'm not, I'm still going to go back to my physio. But now I feel really well taken care of because he recommended someone else that is benefiting me. And so this is the same thing. So the patient wins, you win because now you have an extra stream of income that you don't have to do anything for. Like I said, except send an email out and maybe bring it up if you're in clinic in person. Oh, are you guys ready to have kids soon? Like I know this girl, she has this great program. It really you know, breaks down all the information you need to know to get pregnant, to optimize your chances. Is this something you'd be interested in, right? So then you're making money. And then obviously it's a win for me because yes, I get the percentage of that. And also it helps me to create that impact that I'm looking for. And that's something I, um, I noted that you were talking about. It's like, you know, yes, we want to make money, but we also want to make an impact, right? Like that's, I think those are the two things because money will provide us freedom, but impact is like, why did you get into medical school in the first place? You want to help people probably, right? Not to like, oh, I want to make as much money as possible. It's like unlikely those people, that's why you got in. So affiliate programs is really the best way. And to contact me, I if you're a practitioner, I would just love for you to send me an email as opposed to, I mean, you can message me through um, my Instagram as well. And just make sure that you tell me that you're a practitioner, but I love to get those conversations started on email and I'll get you on Zoom and Zoom and then we'll just chat and talk and see if you are the, you know, if we are a good fit to benefit one another. In today's episode, we discussed the four ways in which networking and hiring the right people will help grow your practice. Likely, you stay tuned to this episode because you're successful and yet feeling there is a greater impact with your patients and your team you can make. To recap, number one, as a practitioner, you need to ask yourself, do I want to be average at everything or the best at one thing? The answer is you need to be the best at doing one thing. Being a specialist in a certain area helps you in reaching out to potential clients and also treat them better. Of course, you want the best for your patients and having a specialization will make it easier for you as a business to grow and prosper. Number two, when it comes to hiring new people, you should expand your horizons. Think of what jobs in your practice can be done remotely. For example, social media manager is a job that can easily be done remotely. So when you start hiring, look for people outside 
of your local area and try to expand as much as you can. It is easy to hire people who understand your vision and have expertise in their area online and can be less costly. Number three, expectations lead to disappointments. We all know that. Being a practitioner and waiting to see results can be hard. This is why you need to manage your expectations better. As a growing practice, you need to understand that business can be unpredictable. Not only manage your expectations, but have clear and realistic ones. Having achievable small goals is better than having a one big audacious goal that sometimes can feel like it will take way too much effort and time and money to achieve. Set a path filled with smaller milestones that will help you get to your ultimate goal as a practice. Number four, as a practice owner, you need to hire a team that works together to bring in more revenue. That means expanding geographically when hiring. You'll find much better matches when you start networking online and hiring remote employees. Not only will this save you money, but it will also improve your practice and business when you hire people who understand your vision and work together seamlessly at the same time. As a business, no matter what the job is, every member of your team should work to bring in more revenue. You can do so by creating your KPIs, clear targets for your teams. This is much easier to achieve when you and your team are a great fit. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You're listening to me right now. Asar, you're frustrated by how healthcare practices are running today. I'm with you. I'm looking to change the conversation that we're having in this field. It starts with me and it starts with you. I want to connect with you and get to know your own struggle or challenges within the healthcare industry. Visit sabrinarombach.com forward slash connect, where you are going to find all of my social media platforms. Feel free to send me a direct message. If you like me, prefer speaking, then you can record a voice message on the page. So come to sabrinarombach.com forward slash connect and let's continue the conversation. You know, I think there was there were a lot of things in there. I look at the chart of the desire zone because I was taking on too many things. I was doing too many things outside of my desire zone. And that allowed me to hone things back into the direction where they should be. What were some other things that we our first call that we ever had? There was a quote that you made you gave me from the Dalai Lama. And these are simple things. I did it, but it was my gratitude. And it hit me at that time because I'd forgotten to be grateful about what has been built. You know, everybody around me that sees what we're doing or you know sees what I'm doing here, my peers and colleagues, and they're very grateful for what I've been doing. They're like, oh, this is great. You know, we'd love to be in the position that I'm in, and I forget that, and I forgot it. So that was another one. And then uh, what was some other stuff? I'd have to go from the list. I mean, there's you know the two minute reset stuff that we do. Margin, just do a little bit. And we even you remember. I, so I you know been a big meditator for a long time, and, and everyone goes through cycles of this. But I was so dedicated. It was 45 minutes to an hour every single day, probably at night as well. And then in a busy lifestyle, you go, oh, can't do that. Then you start thinking, well, if I can't do 30 minutes or an hour meditation, then why even do it? But you're teaching people to do two-minute meditations, which three two-minute meditations throughout the entire day, you know, six minutes total, 
in my opinion, is better than doing 45 minutes an hour every other day. It just made more sense. And it was so much easier just to kind of center myself back in and go back at it. So, and one thing now, I'm gonna have to do a plug here, is this. Yeah, and you know I was gonna do this, didn't you? <laughs> so this clock right here has been, you had, I don't know if yours is next to you or not, but you, you held this up for me one day. And we're talking about time blocking, yes, <laughs> time blocking and everything else. I said, well, what is that? So I bought it on Amazon and it, you know, it has the clock of the five and 10, you know, 15 minutes and so forth. It is awesome. And so when I started using this thing, I started realizing like, oh my gosh, when, I, when I'm actually tracking my time, I've got a lot of it. When I'm not tracking my time, even if you take a five minute break to surf the internet, it's 15, 20 minutes later, the time goes fast. So it's been fantastic. I can get so much stuff done in a 15 minute period. It's crazy. So come to sabrinarunback.com forward slash connect and let's continue the conversation.